Hello everyone, we're Superhero Stuff You Should Know, and if you think you know about superheroes and comic books, think again. We got romance, we got action, romance. we got comedy, we got everything you need, man. Come on down to Superhero Stuff You Should Know for all your superhero needs. Uh, ro I, I don't know about this romance, what part are you talking about? We've got all kinds of sketches, and then deep dives on top of that. Come on down to Superhero Stuff You Should Know! Alright, so come on down to wait, why did I say come on down? To Superhero Stuff You Should Know. What's up, everybody? This is Brian here to tell you about our podcast, Bingetown TV. Our hosts include seven best friends with a love for all things television. We cover a range of genres with a focus on fantasy and sci-fi, but also dip our feet into drama, horror, comedy, and pretty much anything we think is good television. We use the traditional deep dive formula for new live shows that are released week to week, but our calling card is our Rooks and Vets and Pitchtown TV series. Rooks and Vets pairs two of our hosts that have seen a show with two of our hosts that have not seen a show. Pitchtown TV is when we have a special guest pitch us a show by having us watch the pilot and trying to convince us to watch the rest. If you're craving more content on some of your favorite TV shows, then you should listen to Bingetown TV. Find us on our website at bingetowntv.com, the Apple Podcast app, Spotify, or wherever else you may find your podcast. Oh, hello there. I didn't see you come in. I'm Shane O'Hare of the Geekscape Games Podcast, the number one video game podcast on the Geekscape.network. Join myself, Derek Krenevelt, and a guest every fortnight as we discuss video game news, video game reviews, and dissections. That's Geekscape Games every two weeks on Geekscape.net. I've been hinting at this for a bit. Yep. This is my favorite original that's on this album. What we're talking Interesting. about. Interesting. <laughs> Interesting. All right, cool. I'm, I'm on board for this conversation because this is, I think this is one of his more unique original songs. It, it's not, I, I'm just about to describe this and I feel like I'm going to describe it in words that make it seem like I don't like it because that's not the case no, no, at no, all. Go for, but it's, I will it's, explain why I like this song. There is a yeah, very yeah. personal reason why I like this song. Yeah. I think, it's but. not, this is another great example. This is not super funny to me this is like again very considering this is his first record yeah this is a very bitter jaded everything about this makes me feel like it's someone who is so fed up with the entertainment industry that they have written this like scathing indictment of it but yes. he is a kid i mean I, I, he's not 22 to, at the time 22. he is a kid he is definitely a kid yeah still. and and it's so interesting to me that this is his perspective at that young an age, we've talked a lot about how on this record, it is in a lot of ways, his most sort of punk rock. I hate everything down with the establishment in every way sort of 
um, album, but this song is the apex of that, I think. 100%. And let me explain that from this song, from a lyrical standpoint, I don't even pay that much attention to. Yeah. Um, What I like about this song, and I've talked about this before, I don't know if on the show, but I've definitely talked to you about, Mm -hmm. like, I grew up in a family that was filled with Dixieland music and stuff like that. So, like, you've got this song where it's got this awesome Dixieland vibe. You've got a banjo in the background. The banjo throughout this song is fantastic and there's this awesome little sax solo that has a trade-off with the accordion the banjo and someone playing the spoons like it is a really cool song additionally one of my favorite singer songwriters as a muppets fan literally as we're recording this i'm wearing a shirt that is a rainbow connection shirt (laughs) one of my favorite singer songwriters in the world is paul williams and this you could have told me that this was a Paul Williams song that he was covering and I would yeah. have bought it 110%. Yeah. Um, it, it just, this song from a musical standpoint hits so much of what I love in just non-comedy music yeah. that it just hits this weird sweet spot for me that I completely ignored the song. Like I genuinely couldn't tell you what the song is actually about. I had to read the <laughs> wiki that says it, it parodies most business related situations like avoidance litigation and payment delays so that's so interesting to me because in a lot of these episodes so far i feel like we settled into something of a thing where you were focused more on the lyrics and i was listening more to the music and we have really flipped on this one which is yep. uh, i'm fascinated by that i love that that's great because um, this always struck me lyrically and i'm you know with Al stuff, I do pay attention. Generally speaking, I always tell people, like, I'm not inherently a lyrics guy. I'm much more immediately drawn to, in, when I'm listening to a song, I'm drawn to production, and I'm drawn to melody. And I absorb the lyrics only after I've heard something a few times. The lyrics are not usually my initial grab, you know, yeah. when I'm listening to a new song. Um, but this one, for whatever reason, from the first time I heard it, the narrative in this song really kind of perplexed and fascinated me. And so I have, I, like... I knew the lyrics to this song really well. I revisited it before this episode, of course. But this is all, the lyrics have always been the most interesting thing about this song to me. Yeah. And see, for yeah. me, it's it's that because I don't I think one of the things that I love about this song is, like I said, I have such an emotional connection to Dixieland music. Mm-hmm. And it's not really a style that you ever hear Al really homage back to well again the one thing i would say i agree with you that when i listen to this i do get the sense that this is like an early version i felt like he took this idea and turned it up several notches when he made like this is the life yes which comes later and has a lot of that kind of energy to it as well and i Um, would clarify that i i don't even have to do a re-listen i mean we'll get there sooner than a lot of other songs yeah there's no way that i would ever put the check is in the mail above this is the life as far as original <laughs> songs go. Like, I think this is the life is legitimately one of the best masterpieces. in his we're going to entire... talk about that. That, that yeah. song from in every measure is an insane a- achievement. That's a yes. crazy piece of music. Um, but, but I this, can see what you're saying. This is definitely like pre, like the preemptive version of that. This almost. is laying some groundwork for that type of an idea. And I love that about it. I think this is, and I, not to say that this is not, a fully formed idea on its own because this is a really great track and you were talking about the I think this is also an example on this record of 
Al really benefits and the band really benefits from the Rick Derringer production. This is yes. a really well-produced song. It's a very well-produced song. And honestly, as much as I throw around like Dixieland as a as a sound, I think really when I say Paul Williams, that's even more true to yeah. this, um, especially if you've ever heard the original Paul Williams version of something like just an old fashioned love song, which was later covered by three dog night. But that mm. song has this nice, like just him piano banjo. And then like, it hits a certain point in the song where it's like this almost like a new Orleans jazz band background. Yes. For a little bit. Yes. Um, and that's kind of what I think of when I hear the song is that I, I hear that just like, it just sounds so full and so beautiful that like it's one of the only I would argue as far as this is almost like my my got a boogie for you <laughs> where it's like yeah. the music pulls me so far beyond the lyrics that like yeah. the lyrics are inconsequential might as well this song might as well be math rock to me that's how like unimportant the vocals and the lyrics wow. are that's to I, my I, mean, enjoyment I love that of it. I love that that's so interesting because <laughs> and again I do this was one another great example like you know and I'm going to reference a lot you know when I like learned how to play this stuff because you really do develop a different appreciation for something when you're sitting down and playing through it. And this is a very interesting, complex piece of music. The chord changes of this song are really interesting and moves around a lot. It's it's very, very well written song. But yeah, no, it's I'm just I'm fascinated. I, I love it musically, but to me that the lyrics are the whole thing. Yeah. That's great. I love I love that you're right. Like the roles have almost completely Yeah, flipped completely flopped. flipped on us. <laughs> <laughs> That's the appealing thing about doing this show was that I think we both knew as much as you and I uh, throughout the like two years that we've known each other have aligned mm. on a lot of things. We we different. We, we have just enough of a divide that it was like, yeah. there is no way that our lists are going to match. Oh, yeah. And, no, and they didn't. I mean, from like, from what was it? Episode, episode two. Episode three or four. It was like <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. already very completely quickly, different. Like, forget that. We're, we're, <laughs> we're off, which is great. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure there's going to be a lot of big ones we're going to agree on. But so it's funny. I have to just go back and like and talk about some of the lyrics to this song because I love the there's a lyric thing he does in this that is I love so much at the end of the song. So the whole thing, of course, is like. It's all from the perspective of this person who's schmoozing somebody who's obviously like there's this seems so much like it has to be a true story to me. Like well, and I, I looked it up and I don't know if there's any Al has never talked about like if this is based on actual events, but well, it really seems like it has to be. Well, like, let's look real quick. We'll bounce back to my Bologna, right? Mm hmm. He writes the song. It's a success. He gets paid $500 for the masters at Capitol Records, but only right. given a six month contract before that all falls apart. And I right. assume I I wouldn't be shocked if the reason why this has a studio recording is probably because he no longer owns the masters to his original song that he wrote with that it's Capitol. Probably deal. True. So there's probably, probably some bitterness there. And then like we've talked about how he kind of hates stuff like the food album and the TV album because yeah. he finds it being like an exploitation of just trying to, you know, squeeze every dollar out of <laughs> the stuff that's already been recorded. Exactly. So I think that this has been a thing that's that sat with him for a while. And like when his contract ran up a couple years ago, he didn't even remotely consider the concept of re-signing a label. He was just like, yeah. no, I'm just going to self-release now. Exactly. Like <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, what was the lyric you were going to say? Oh, yeah, so, so back to the lyrics. Like, it's all just this person smoozing and, like, just kind of dismissing someone. Like, oh, yeah, you know, of course, that's the joke of the song. The check's in the mail. Don't worry about it. I got you. You're fine. And clearly, as the song goes on, this person's never going to pay. And they threaten to sue them. And it's like, okay, well, good luck. And the constant refrain in the chorus is that my girl will call your girl will talk or leave a message on my machine. Mm -hmm. And in the final chorus, 
the narrator of the song has become so dismissive of this person that the lyric changes to, why don't you leave a message with my girl and I'll have lunch with your machine? Yeah. The person's not even paying attention to what they're saying anymore. It's just like now it's just like the, the most like ran like they've mixed up the words. It's it's just like that's that is we we're talking about like my Bologna debating how clever that is. <laughs> this song is very clever. There's really interesting wordplay. And yeah, it's just very smart. This is a really smartly written lyric. I also think that this song touches on a thing that I have always kind of had an affinity for, which is, um, you know, they talk about how like the Oscars love movies about the art of making movies. I love songs about the music industry. Like a prime example is like Billy Joel's The Entertainer. Yes. You know, when he has that lyric where it's like, I can't remember the full lyric off the top of my head, but it's, you know, essentially like, and they cut it down to 305, like about like... Or it's like, it won't be a hit if the song doesn't fit. Yeah. It's something like like that, so they cut it down to 305. 305. And and stuff like that. One of the only songs I've ever written that I was genuinely proud of was a song I wrote called um, Hit Single. Mm. It was kind of like my version of like trying to write something like The Entertainer. Yeah. And... Uh, I remember the the second verse is still probably the proudest thing I ever wrote. And it was, the formula is simple. It's easy to repeat. You write a catchy chorus at, with lyrics that are kind of unique. Then you tour up and down the USA. Find yourself an agent. And now you're getting radio play. You have the single and you tour around the globe and you're packing the arenas because everybody wants to know your inspirations, how the single's so hot. But when you don't write the follow-up, then you're going to get dropped. <laughs> like, <laughs> and I was like... You know, that was like written when I was like 21. Yeah, that's <laughs> like, great. A, I love that. A, I wrote them like, I'll never write anything better than this. And I legitimately have not written a song since. It's been like 15 <laughs> years. Um, oh, but yeah, man. like every once in a while, like I love those types of songs. I- Hello, everyone. We're superhero stuff you should know. And if you think you know about superheroes and comic books, think again. We got romance. We got action. Romance. We got comedy. We got everything you need, man. Come on down to Superhero Stuff You Should Know for all your superhero needs. Uh, ro- I, I don't know about this romance. What part are you talking about? We've got all kinds of sketches and then deep dives on top of that. Come on down to Superhero Stuff You Should Know. All right. So come on down to... Su- Wait, why did I say come on down? To Superhero Stuff You Should Know. What's up, everybody? This is Brian here to tell you about our podcast, Bingetown TV. Our hosts include seven best friends with a love for all things television. We cover a range of genres with a focus on fantasy and sci-fi, but also dip our feet into drama, horror, comedy, and pretty much anything we think is good television. We use the traditional deep dive formula for new live shows that are released week to week, but our calling card is our Rooks and Vets and Pitchtown TV series. Rooks and Vets pairs two of our hosts that have seen a show with two of our hosts that have not seen a show. Pitchtown TV is when we have a special guest pitch us a show by having us watch the pilot and trying to convince us to watch the rest. If you're craving more content on some of your favorite TV shows, then you should listen to Bingetown TV. Find us on our website at bingetowntv.com, the Apple Podcast app, Spotify, or wherever else you may find your podcast. I love those weird songs because they, I think that there's always this this interesting concept of and it's the same thing with the movies about movies it's like you love this thing it's it's your job it's something that you love doing 
but man, do you also hate it. Yeah. And it's like something that I think always drew me to like Five Iron Frenzy when I was a kid was like, as a kid who was growing up listening to a lot of Christian music, it was very shocking to hear a Christian band that was pointing fingers at how shitty churches and Christians could be. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I was like, oh, okay. Like, <laughs> and, it, and it's this attitude of, I think what it comes down to is with music, anything, when you love something, it's the same thing with people. When you love something, you want them to be better, right? Yeah. And it's like, I remember reading a book one time where it was like, a guy, it was like a book of essays, and the guy was talking about how he had a boss who would always point out all of his mistakes, and it used to really make him frustrated, and then eventually the boss stopped pointing out his mistakes, and that's when he realized that the boss lost all faith in him, and that <laughs> hurt way worse than when wow. the boss was actively wow. trying to make him better. And that's what I think is the charm of this is like, yeah, this is an angry, bitter song about the industry, yeah. but I think it comes from the place of like, the industry shouldn't be like this. Like, yeah, yeah. I agree completely. And there's also I, for something I always find fascinating, I think about this a lot, is that anytime you have a job, if you're working in the arts, in the grand scheme of you know the arts, art and business are inherently at odds, right? Yes. Like it doesn't, they can't, they have to work together because there's this entire industry. You can't make a living you can't be a successful artist, or I shouldn't say that. That's not true. The business side of it is essential if you're going to, you know, really make a go of these sorts of things. But from an artistic perspective, it flies directly in the face. Thinking about money and business and how to keep the gears turning just goes yeah. totally against the creative process. And especially for um, nowadays, it happens even more because so many artists are DIY. Um, you know, we just at this point has no management and we do everything ourselves. And there's that weird, you have to be sort of like left and right brained about it where you have to think about things through like, well, we want to do something that's artistically interesting and important to us. But at the same time, we need to keep this band going. And yeah. in order to do that, you have to make money and you have to like be able to pay your bills and all that kind of stuff. And yeah, that's like all songs like that are, are I feel the same way and film does it too. It's inherently fascinating because it is just like, at best, it's a compromise. Yeah. Well, and I think also bouncing off what you were saying, I, I referenced this a couple episodes ago that I do a podcast for my uncle's cover band. Yeah. And recently they did a segment on their show called Love It, Keep It, Trash It, where they went through songs that aren't full-time regular rotations in the set list, but are songs that occasionally they have to play. Mm-hmm. And he would, the host of the show would name the songs and each member would say if they love the song, if they begrudgingly will keep the song in the set list, or if they think that they should just completely remove it entirely from their their repertoire. Oh, interesting. Um, I like that. And one of them they did was Rock the Casbah. And it was interesting because you have this band of nine members. It's only four of them that do the show, but like you've got this pretty large band, but like one of them specifically is the business guy. He handles the bookings yeah. and he's kind of like the liaison between like the weddings that they do and whatnot. And they hit rock the Casbah. Two of the guys who were just playing in the band were like, love it, love it. And then it got to him and he goes, there has never been anything good that has ever happened while playing that song. <laughs> so as much as I love rock the Casbah from a business standpoint it doesn't fill a dance floor we have to trash it wow and it's like having to think things in that mindset where it's like 
It could be your favorite song in the world, but if you're playing a wedding and every time you play your favorite song in the world, the dance floor completely empties, like you have to make the business decision to be like, we can't keep playing this song. It's a difficult thing to do. And from a band (laughs) perspective, sometimes it's like, you can get away with one or two, I feel like, right? Where you're like, you know, the band, like, we're going to play this song. I was talking in the previous couple episodes ago about you know tom petty doing his seven songs his his seven song blues block (laughs) and and it wasn't just me it was palpable that the room was just like okay we're gonna politely great okay thank you very much (laughs) um but clear like he's like i don't care he's like i have enough hits doesn't matter to me i want to play this stuff i'm gonna do it you know he made a point to even say he's like thanks for your patience i appreciate that you know we like playing this stuff you can get away with it to a certain degree but you obviously have to think about what's going to keep people coming to your show when I um I've run a couple like live stream events for different musicians, uh, and usually when they open it up to questions, uh, part of what I try to do is in any situation, even if you're doing a live stream event, usually you or you need a, one or two plants in the audience to ask the first couple questions to make the rest of the people feel like oh I can ask questions yeah and my go to question whenever I'm running a music. Q&A thing is what is a song that you wished audiences gravitated towards more than they did yeah, because I love that that's a great question because I think every band has has at least one song that it's like if I could have it my way this would be on every set yeah and we would never not play it yep. but the audience just doesn't connect to it on like the same level that like I connect yeah to that song yeah. And it's kind of random, you know. It's that's that's so so true. That's a great question because it is actually one of your one of my favorite moments is when like if you're talking to a fan of your band or whatever it is that you're doing, and you hear like, oh, I, my favorite song of yours is X, and it is a random deep cut that you the musicians in the band love, but you never expect to be a crowd pleaser. Yeah. Like that is the best, and those those are few and far between. And you don't, I don't, you know, you don't hold it against people. Everyone likes what they like. That's totally fine. Often it's just inherent that what's more interesting to the artist is not necessarily (laughs) the audience's favorite thing or why they came to the show. When you also hit, you know, you punchline, but even like bigger bands like Green Day and Blink-182, you hit this weird point where it's like people are going to love the stuff that they heard when they were a kid hearing it for the first time. And it's like, I think that the most recent punchline album lion is arguably one of the best if not the best album they've ever put out but like they go out on that show and they know that they have to play these songs that they wrote in 2000 because because <laughs> that's course. like what the audience wants to hear and like you know i'm sure green day would love to not have to play half of dookie still and i'm sure blink 182 yeah. doesn't want to be 40 something years old singing songs about being an angsty teenager anymore but like <laughs> you're kind of stuck sometimes in a situation where that's just what you have to to do. The, uh, I mean, the reality is like, and this is for any band that is lucky enough to survive that long where you get to the point where this is a problem and calling it even a problem is I think sort of a stretch, but the best song in the world, and this is just my opinion on this, it's not gospel or anything, but the best songs in the world, even they can't really compete with nostalgia. No. No, when you have nostalgia for something, yeah. that is that will color your judgment beyond an objectively better written, composed, performed, whatever it is, track. Nostalgia is everything. And if you're a band that's existed for 15, 20 plus years, nostalgia, for better or worse, is going to be part of your show and part of your job. 
yeah to give people the nostalgia hit that they want when they come to see you yes by the by the time this episode drops this video is going to be over a month old but i've been working on a video about the american pie franchise and mm. and why i love it so much yeah and it's been a really stressful thing to write about because it is Basically writing a love letter to a film that you are also very aware, aware aged like milk and is problematic yeah. as all hell. Yes. Um, and the end result is, yes, I love these movies because despite all of its faults, I put it on and I am a 15-year-old kid again totally. in my house watching the movie for the first time. Like Totally. Like Absolutely. the power that that has over you in those certain things. And I think it is that sweet. I would say the sweet spot for me is like, if you can bring me back to like seventh grade up to like sophomore year of college, like I will have an eternal love for it. And yeah. even I'm sure you've experienced this too. I'm sure everybody listening has experienced this too. Songs that you even hate it at that time period, the yeah. older you get because it can bring you back to that time in your life, you have such a newfound appreciation for it. It's true. It's like, so I true. I hated Euro pop and dance music as a kid. And now, like, those songs probably give me more of a nostalgic boost than the stuff that I've been listening to for years in the punk genre because that's kind of followed me forever. But, like, those songs represent a very specific time in my life where it's like, oh, I hear this and I remember my cousin having these albums and playing it by the pool when I was, like, yeah. 10 years old. You know, like, we We talked about wild. this. We talked about this a little bit on the One Hit Thunder. I was a guest on that, and we talked about the Vines yeah. Get Free, which when it came out was a song I really turned my nose up at because I thought it was, I, don't know, I just didn't care for it. And now listening back to it, I was just like, man, you know, they don't make songs like this on anymore on the radio, <laughs> do they? This was back when rock music was on the radio. I sound like one of those old guys. Yeah, the, the lamenting, rock uh, station guys. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> when someone finally explained to me that the term butt rock, which I had always heard as b-u-t-t -T rock which which totally makes sense that it's like no it's an homage to like radio djs who are like we play nothing but rock nothing like, but rock <laughs> like, yeah. i was like oh my god that makes so much more sense because these are absolutely the bands that dominate those radio stations absolutely totally 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 <laughs> and it is uh, funny because when i was a kid again i turned my nose up at those stations because they were playing what at the time was considered classic rock yeah. And now I put on one of those stations and we like, we play nothing but classic rock. And then they put on a My Chemical Romance song. And I'm like, oh, no. Oh, no. Yeah. Oh, dude. When Nirvana, that was the big, when Nirvana officially hit that 25 year mark, when I'm like, oh, no, they're classic rock. Yeah, oh, for no. sure. For sure. Green Day is classic rock. I mean, it's all, it, it's. I don't even know if there's this, if I want it to listen to 50s music right now, I don't think that there's a radio station on the dial that'll give it to me anymore. Probably not. You probably have to go to satellite radio to go <laughs> yeah, to one of those, yeah. Like, dude, getting old sucks. <laughs> it's, it's weird. It's certainly weird. That part of it's true. All right. Well, I already played my hand that checks in the mail is currently top in my best original song. Uh, right now, you have Happy Birthday as your number one original song on this album, followed by Got a Boogie, followed by Buckingham Blues. Where are you uh, putting this one? You know what? I'm going to put this above happy birthday. I'm going to put this at number one. Nice. All right. I am. Unexpected, unexpected. I know. I, to be honest, I, I, you can probably tell I literally just decided that right now. I did not I was gonna say, I don't think you one. went into this expecting this I, I to didn't. be your number I one didn't. at this time. I, yeah. <laughs> and it was fun. It's interesting because again, the song, like I find it lyrically fascinating and I love the fact that the lyrics to this song just sent us down this music industry, you know, tangent rabbit hole. Um, but I, I, it does really benefit it suits the track to have these sorts of conversations because that is really what it's about. And it's a young Al sort of coming to grips with the world that he is 
entering. Yeah, Sign, signing and his life I love, into exactly, basically. and and yeah, for real. Like I'm sure at this point he probably could not have imagined just how much he really was entering for his life yeah. <laughs> into this world. <laughs> yeah, and and musically, I think it's super interesting. Like I said, well produced. Like arguably, at least at this point in the record, um, arguably the best produced track in my opinion. And I I think a little more than you musically, like I said, I feel like this sets up future things a lot. We hear a lot of that on this record of like touching on ideas that come back later in a more refined way. But this is definitely an interesting, unique track on this record. For sure. So I'm saying as of this episode, this is the top original. All right. We'll see what happens uh, in about two episodes. But for now, we're agreeing on the number one from now. (laughs) Who knows? Uh, All right, well, we'll be back with the last parody off the self-titled album next week, so stay tuned. Yeah. You're listening to the Geekscape Network. Hello, everyone. We're superhero stuff you should know, and if you think you know about superheroes and comic books... Think again. We got romance. We got action. Romance. We got comedy. We got everything you need, man. Come on down to superhero stuff you should know for all your superhero needs. Uh, ro- I, I don't know about this romance. What part are you talking about? We've got all kinds of sketches and then deep dives on top of that. Come on down to superhero stuff you should know. All right. So come on down to. Su- Wait, why did I say come on down? To superhero stuff you should know. What's up, everybody? This is Brian here to tell you about our podcast, Bingetown TV. Our hosts include seven best friends with a love for all things television. We cover a range of genres with a focus on fantasy and sci-fi, but also dip our feet into drama, horror, comedy, and pretty much anything we think is good television. We use the traditional deep dive formula for new live shows that are released week to week, but our calling card is our Rooks and Vets and Pitchtown TV series. Rooks and Vets pairs two of our hosts that have seen a show with two of our hosts that have not seen a show. Pitchtown TV is when we have a special guest pitch us a show by having us watch the pilot and trying to convince us to watch the rest. If you're craving more content on some of your favorite TV shows, then you should listen to Bingetown TV. Find us on our website at bingetowntv.com, the Apple Podcast app, Spotify, or wherever else you may find your podcast. You're listening to the Geekscape Network.